Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Do you struggle with evangelism? Do you feel like you should tell others about the gospel and yet you can't seem to find a way to do that? If so, then this episode is for you. Part of our aim here at Restitutio is not just exploring the Bible and church history and theology to recover authentic Christianity, but also figuring out how to live that faith today. This means we sometimes have practical episodes. In this presentation, you'll learn about hospitality evangelism. The idea is simple. Invite neighbors or coworkers over for dinner. Rosario Butterfield put it this way. Make strangers neighbors and neighbors family. This presentation will not only give you some useful advice on how to be faithful to the Great Commission, but will also provide you with some comedic examples of what not to do. Here now is episode 510, Hospitality Evangelism. I want to begin by talking about three major problems for evangelism. The problem of the privatization of religion, the problem of polarization, and the problem of isolation. So privatization, I'm not talking about economically, I'm talking about people believe that discussion about spiritual matters or religious matters is private. And so to ask somebody what, and I'm not saying this is right, it's just what it is, okay? So to ask many people today about their faith or about God or even about Jesus, they will feel immediately uncomfortable because it's like you just asked to go into their house, into their bedroom, and peek inside their closet. And you don't even, they don't even know you. Or maybe they just know you a little bit. And so the amount of relational credibility you have to have with somebody before you talk about the big questions about God and stuff is much higher today than it was, say, 20 years ago because of this idea that religious topics are private. Second of all, polarization. This is the idea that everyone gets painted with a broad brush. So if you are a Christian, therefore, you're also homophobic. If you are a Christian, then you're also, and you can list off all the other things that people might think about you. You're sexist, you're racist, you're anti-gun, anti-environment, anti-choice, pro-poverty. Uh, and, and you can add to the list there, right? I'm, again, I'm not saying this is right. <laughs> I'm just saying this is. If you want to talk about the Bible, people just put that on you immediately because our society is so deeply divided and polarized into these two clearly defined camps on the subject of God and the Bible. And then the last thing is isolation. We've already talked about this. Will Barlow mentioned this in uh, the Bowling Alone book, which sounds really sad, uh, Bowling Alone. But uh, I guess if you want to get really good, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You know, we got a couple bowlers in the house, I know, so respect to you. But we order our groceries and we pick them up now. We work from home. We pay at the pump for gas Collisions between you and other people are becoming less and less, especially in light of our recent uh, COVID pandemic, that you know, you're just not going to run into people as much. Now, some of you from the city, 
wish you could run into people less. I understand, okay? So it's not everybody, okay? But for those of us who live upstate, who live in the suburbs or live in the country, I mean, I hardly ever see my neighbors. You know, you know when's the last time my neighbors invited me over for dinner? Never! <laughs> Never. I think that's weird, but that's, that's where the society is at, and that's the problem of isolation. So when you have people saying that talking about religious topics is considered inappropriate and private, and they want to fight you the moment they find out what you're on about with respect to God, and you can't find them anyhow because they're holed up in their basement watching the news and how scary it is to go outside. So this is a perfect storm. This is a trifecta of kill evangelism. And uh, there are probably some other reasons, too, why evangelism's hard. Maybe you're, you lack a confidence or you have your own issues. I'm not talking about your issues, okay? I'm talking about other people's issues. So the question is, how can we be faithful to the Great Commission in a privatized, polarized, isolated society? Should we just quit? No. Say, oh, it's just, Sean, it's just too hard. It's too hard. Well, did Jesus quit? No, they hung him up on a cross. You know, they, and that was after they persecuted him from city to city. They made fun of him. They excluded him. They beat him. And then they, they crucified him, and he did not quit. What about Paul? Did he quit? They threw rocks at him until he stopped moving. He got up, and he kept going to the next city. Look, it's not that bad. When's the last time somebody threw a rock at your head because you tried to share the gospel with them? Now, look, if you're being a jerk and somebody throws a rock at your head, I'm not talking about that. You probably, you probably deserve that. But, I mean, comparatively to Jesus getting crucified and Paul getting stoned, it's not so bad. And they didn't quit. Other strategies are just be nice. Just be nice to people. Don't ever, don't ever say anything. Just be nice. Smile. Be friendly. I think that's good. For the record, don't be mean and, and, and all that. But, yeah, uh, um, being nice is not going to save somebody unless you actually use your words to share the gospel. Or somebody does it. Or they read it. Or somehow they have to come across the gospel. Should we just pray and never speak the message? Should we just content ourselves that I'm not called, Pastor Sean, I'm not called, maybe you're called, I'm not called to be an evangelist. Other people are supposed to do that. Pastor Victor's supposed to do that. He's got the whole state of Rhode Island. That's his job. Nobody else in Rhode Island has to do a blessed thing because he's there, he's called, and we know he's covered. No! That is not, I mean, sure, some people are awesome at evangelism. You should see Timmy Paul in action. I mean, it's incredible. You know, many of us can't do what he can do, right, Brother Timmy Paul? And, uh, you know, he can navigate spaces that I can't navigate. Uh, but you know what? We're all part of the team. We're all on the team of the Great Commission. It's not like Jesus said to us, all right, I'm going to give you seven things and just, like, do whichever ones you feel like. He gave us one thing. He <laughs> said, go make disciples. That's your job as a church. And we're all members of the church. So I want to share with you a solution to cut through these problems. And I call it hospitality evangelism. This is not complicated. But it takes courage. And it takes vulnerability. Because I am asking you to invite somebody into your home. So the first idea is have neighbors over for dinner. 
Another idea, play cards together. Invite people over and play cards. Another idea, uh, have a cookout, have a barbecue in the backyard or wherever it is you, you can or in a park and invite your neighbors. Those of you with kids, have a kid's play date. Or have a little fire pit set up in the backyard and drink hot cider around a campfire. Right? This is not rocket science, right? These are just different ways that you can invite people into your life. I base this all on this verse in Romans 12, which I have up on the screen here. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. It's only half a verse. <laughs> I could turn it into an hour, ladies and gentlemen. Let me tell you. It's only half a verse, but it's so powerful. In order to show you how powerful it is, we've got to go a little Greek here, just a little bit. So the Greek word for hospitality is philoxenia. It's the word philos and xenia together. And the word philos, like Philadelphia, it means love. And then xenos is like xenophobia, fear of strangers, right? So xenos is this word that means stranger. Hospitality means stranger love. Loving weirdos, outsiders, people that are xeno, that are other than you. Now look, if you want to invite your family over for dinner, you want to invite your close friends over for dinner, I think that's great. That's just not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something else, where you invite the other, the outsider, over for dinner. And then this other word for seek, so that was the word for hospitality right here. And then this word seek is this word dioko, which means to run persecute or chase after. It's not a wimpy word. It's not just like, hey, if somebody happens to mention that they'd really like to come over, then begrudgingly say, oh, let me, let me see about that and maybe something will work out. That's not pursuing hospitality. That's not chasing after hospitality. That's awkwardly letting it fall in your lap because it's convenient for you. This is different than this. This is an active searching. You're looking at your job. You're looking at your neighborhood. Who can I invite over for dinner? Who can I invite over to play a board game or to hang out in the backyard and get together with some people? That's the word that we're talking about here. And it says in Hebrews 13 verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And when it says to show hospitality to strangers, it's the same exact word here. They translated it, show hospitality to strangers, because that's just what the word means. It's not just show hospitality in general. Let's look at Luke chapter 14 together. I want to ask the question, what did Jesus say about this subject? And what can we look at as far as the example Jesus gave us on stranger love? Now, when I say stranger love, I don't want you to think that it's weird love, it's love of strangers, okay? <laughs> no, that's some stranger love you got going on there. Uh, Luke 14, verse 12, And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, So Jesus is there for dinner. Jesus is at a dinner party. And he's now going to tell the guy how to invite people to dinner parties. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives. Or rich neighbors. <laughs> All right, so you're going to follow Jesus or not? He says, he says don't, don't do these things. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return that you will 
that will be your repayment. Verse 13, but when you give a reception, invite, who does he say to invite? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. All right, now Jesus is saying this in a very strong way, which is typical for that part of the world at that time that you would say something absolutely black and white, and people would understand that he's not saying, don't be friendly to your family members, don't be friendly to rich people. He's not saying snub rich people. What he's doing is he's he's emphasizing how important it is to invite outsiders. That's a list of outsiders, like we already talked about previously today. Verse 13 the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. That's just a catch-all list of outsiders in their society. Outsiders in our society today might include other people who are outsiders to Christianity or outsiders in other ways. Meals were important social rituals in the ancient world. It's a little quote from the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary. They were rituals, social rituals. One would normally eat only with those of his or her own social class. One's place at the table was determined by social status. Is it like that in your house? Is it like that when you go to the restaurant with friends and you're, you, you kind of like fuss a little bit like, well, I think actually I just got a raise at work, so I'm going to sit just one higher and, you know, you can be over here now, dear friend. No, like this is so foreign to our world. The only time you see it is at a wedding reception where you have the, you know, the, the bridal party and then the, the immediate family and then, it, you know, it goes out from, and then there's like that random uncle nobody likes. He's way in the back, you know. Uh, so we have it a little bit there. But in their society, every meal, you sat according to your social status. That was considered normal in showing honor. Jesus talks about this. Jesus says, if somebody invites you over to dinner, sit at the lowest place and then have them say to you, oh, come up higher. Otherwise, if you sit up in the high place and then somebody of higher social status comes in, they're going to say, hey, man, um, Bartholomew's here and he owns more land than you. And he's got like three musicians on the payroll. You have only got two. So you're going to have to slide down. Brother Bart's going to sit over here. That would be humiliating, right? So Jesus says, don't do that. Just sit in the low place. Let them elevate you or not. Don't worry about it. But uh, this was a big part of it. One's place at the table was determined by social status, and the places beside the host represented the highest status. This was true both in the Greco-Roman and Jewish society. Roman sources describe meals where guests of different social status are seated in different rooms and even served different food and wine depending on their social rank. So they actually would give you a different food. So if you were of the higher social status, you get filet mignon. If you are, you know, a step below that, the other next table, ribeye or New York strip. Go down a little lower, you got the sirloin. A little lower than that, it's like a baseball glove. I mean, you're going to have to salt that puppy and, you know, forget a steak knife. You need to saw it just to get through that, dip it in water, swallow it down. Whew. So um, that's the way their world worked. Now think about, once again, what Jesus said. What Jesus said was invite low-status people when you have a dinner. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is very self-consciously bucking against all the social norms of his society that say, oh, you should invite somebody that's roughly your equal over for dinner, and then you should get 
reciprocity. They should invite you over for dinner, and then you should benefit from that relationship, and you should have this wonderful back and forth. Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's, 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 you're doing it wrong. Invite the weirdos, the, the disabled, the outcast, the sinner, the tax collector, the, the person that owes money. Invite those people over. I mean, that's, that's radical in his world. Let's look at another scripture that talks about this. Luke 15, Luke 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So this is the setup for the triple parable, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son, also known as the prodigal son. This is the setup for those three parables. The setup is Jesus is spending time with sinners and he's eating with them. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you had a sinner over for dinner? When's the last time you had a sinner dinner? (laughs) Well, I thought we were supposed to be separate. We're called saints. We're supposed to be holy. Yeah, yeah, don't sin with them. (laughs) But if you don't have sinners over for dinner or invite to other things that you do, then how are you ever going to reach them? And Jesus did that, and Jesus was criticized by who? The religious people. The religious people said, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Here's the Son of God, the Messiah, literally never sinned. And they're saying to him, you're doing it wrong. Let him tell us we're doing it wrong too. I don't care. I want to be with Jesus. I want to to do it the way Jesus did it so that uh, I can be faithful to him and I can be obedient to that great commission, go and make disciples. Jesus saw his mission as calling people to come to God to repent and be forgiven. It wasn't just love, but it was love to the degree that they would hear the message and that it would bring genuine life change. That's important too. In fact, we have a legacy of this. There's a historical document by Aristides from probably about the second century. This is what he said. And when they see a stranger, this is talking about Christians, they take him to their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to the necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is any, among them any that is poor or needy, just wait, wait for this. Are you ready? Poor or needy. And if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. Can you imagine that? Again, this is a fact of history. You could say it's right or it's wrong, but this is what our people did. This was what, they, what we were known for, is treating strangers like family. Looking at somebody and saying, you know, you're poor, you don't have any food, come over to my house, and I only have enough food for me and my family, and then me saying, we're not going to eat for two days so that we'll have enough food to share. <laughs> That's awesome. What an awesome legacy. We should be proud of that as the, the people who are so many hundreds of years later part of this, uh, this family tree, spiritually speaking. All right, now I realize that this is the after lunch slot, and I've already seen a few dozers. And I'm not talking about bulldozers. I'm talking about 
sleepers. So uh, I'd like to call up Hector and Ruth, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to illustrate, come on up, we're going to set this table here. We're going to illustrate, I think like five different things of what not to do, okay? So, you know, they say, um, you know, monkey see, monkey do. In this case, monkey see, monkey don't do, all right? These are negative examples that I just really hope none of you will do. So this is our dinner table. So we're going to simulate hospitality evangelism. Are you ready? Ready. Don't try this at home. Hector, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. Thank God and the Lord Jesus Christ who died for my sins. I couldn't be better. Why don't we pray? Oh, should we pray? I think we should pray. Okay, let's pray. You know, Jesus stood when he prayed. (laughs) Lord God Almighty, we are not worthy to eat of these, for we are but maggots who deserve your wrath, and yet you gave your son for us. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah! Amen. 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 Bathroom. This is delicious. You know, not it's not as delicious as Jesus. He said to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Right. I think that would be a good meal, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I just got to use the restroom. You, you got to use the restroom. It's just it? down there in the, the hall there. <laughs> All right. That that's the end of scenario one. Come on back. Come on back. Okay. Scenario two. How are you today, Hector? I'm great. How are you? Uh, uh fine. I'm all right. So, hey, Ruth, I noticed that you had a Bible verse hanging on the wall there. Do I? What's that about? Oh, I don't even know what it says. I think my father-in-law gave it to us. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he, he gives us random stuff like that. It doesn't really mean anything. Hey, well, thanks for dinner. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was all right. It was, thanks. Yeah. All right. God bless. Have a good night. <laughs> <clears throat> that I call that one the in the closet approach. It's another way. To, so over the top, in the closet, those are two ditches. Don't fall in either one when you're on the road. All right, number three. You ready? Yeah. <sighs> okay. How are you today? I'm, I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm well. Okay. Yeah, let's oh. eat. Mm. 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 
Hector, do you know for sure that if you died right this moment, that you would have eternal life? You could die at any moment. Are no. you sure or not? Don't think about it. Answer the question. I, I don't know. No. You don't know? No. Well, I don't know if you don't know. But if you don't know, then it's time to consider the fact that you're under God's wrath. You want to burn? Do you want to burn? Answer me! Where'd you say the bathroom was? It's right over there. (laughs) Don't do that. All right, all right. Scenario number four. Number four. This is my favorite one. How are you doing today, Hector? So glad you made it for dinner. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. How are you guys doing? Fine, I guess. What's up? It's just those damn Democrats. They're so full of woke libtards. What a bunch of pandering socialistic bullies. Yeah, those Democrat baby killers. There's just nothing worse than a Democrat. Wouldn't Mm. you say? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys knew this before inviting me, but... Yeah, I, I vote Democrat. What? All those Democrats should go to Canada. That's where they belong. Listen, I vote Democrat. I'm not a baby killer, and I'm not about to eat with a bunch of racist Republicans. Well, then you should get out of our house. Yeah, we don't want you either. God bless. <laughs> That's good. Uh. <clears throat> How are you today, Hector? I'm doing well. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Need some dinner here. Some good cooking. You guys all right? You look a little stressed. Oh, I mean, I, I am so frustrated. These these damn kids. What's up? What? How many kids do you have? I have four kids. Oh, jeez. So I have this THC vaping pen, and uh, the kids keep stealing it. I can't ever get high. Um, what do you mean? Well, I can tell you what they're doing to me. They keep asking me to help them with their homework. The little turds should just figure it out. And you said you had four kids? Yeah, I have four kids, but after about six beers, it looks like eight. <laughs> I thought you were Christians. Oh, oh, yeah, we're, we're we Christ- are, yeah. but we know how to have fun. Yeah, uh, you should come to church on Sunday. What about church, but where's the bathroom? Bathroom's over there. All right. <laughs> All right, so those are some examples of what not to do. I'd like to lean a little bit on Rosaria Butterfield. Some of you have heard her story. We had that green book we were giving away. That's by Rosaria Butterfield. Just an epic uh, Christian evangelist, really the most powerful evangelist that, that I've seen in this arena of hospitality evangelism. She was an English professor at Syracuse University, a tenured English professor, had everything with her life in order. Uh, she's, uh, she was a lesbian. She had a, a live-in girlfriend. She was a, a dog rescuer for uh, golden retrievers. Uh, she had lots of 
uh, LGBT friends and really pushed that on the campus and, you know, coordinated the club. And uh, Rosaria also was uh, very successful in uh, queer studies, which was a technical field that she was involved with uh, as an English professor. Just could not stand Christian. She said she decided to go on a campaign against stupid. And uh, that, that was us, uh, the stupid. So promise keepers had come through town and she was writing as a feminist how horrible it is. These men are gathering in their, in their numbers and doing all this weird Christian stuff together. And uh, she wrote an article in the local paper. She got a lot of feedback, a lot of positive feedback, people cheering her on, a lot of negative feedback, hate mail. And then one uh, piece of feedback she couldn't figure out what to do with because it, it wasn't cheering her on or telling her she's going to hell. It was sort of like... Hey, I'd love to talk. It was from this pastor named Ken. And uh, so she couldn't figure out which pile to put it in, so she called him. She figured, I'll call him, and then I'll, I'll either you know, put it over here or I'll throw it out. And so she called him, and he invited her to dinner. What a weird thing. I mean, this is a conservative, Bible-believing, uh, from the Presbyterian denomination, pastor, and he invited her over for dinner. So she comes over for dinner, and she's nervous. You know, people are nervous. She's nervous, and she shows up with her pickup truck with the pro-choice sticker and her butch haircut, and she walks up to the front door, and, and they just they welcome her in. Ken and Floyd, his wife, an older Christian pastor and his wife couple, and they, they welcome her in, and, and they sit there, and they, they have a nice dinner together. And you know what? They don't talk about their disagreements, they don't push Christianity on her, they just show her love, because the setup was she already knew where they were coming from, so that was, that was clear, but you know what he did? He prayed. He didn't do the fancy prayer like you saw a few minutes ago. <laughs> That's the, uh, the deluxe prayer, right? He just did a simple, basic prayer for the food, and then after that, it was just, how you doing, and, and, they got, and he really, he really seemed to want to know her. He seemed really interested in her world. And uh, this is what she writes about herself at that time. She says, I believed at this time that God was dead and that if he was ever alive, the fact of poverty, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, and war was proof he didn't care about his creation. I believe that religion was, as Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses an imperialist social construct made to soothe the existential angst of the intellectually impaired. That's you. <laughs> so that's where she's coming from. And then she comes to dinner. And this is what she writes about the dinner. She says, Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history but has been functionally lost in too many Christian homes. Ken and Floyd invited the stranger in. Look at that. I mean, she's different, right? She's Zeno. She's not, she doesn't believe in their politics and their God and their lifestyle. You know, like she just, she's, she, that, that's, that's what we're talking about. Not to scapegoat me, but to listen, to learn and to dialogue. Ken and Floyd have a vulnerable and transparent faith. We didn't debate worldview. He talked about our personal truth and about what made us tick. Ken and Floyd didn't identify with me. They listened to me and identified with Christ. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. During our meal, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. 
because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script as I had come to know it. And when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said he wanted to stay in touch, I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. She was working 75 hours a week. She would not have had time to go to church anyhow. She was so obsessed with her career and, and you know, publishing the next article in the journals, the next book, getting it published. So she didn't have time anyhow. So th- th- that's just where they left it. And then they got together again when it was convenient for her. And then they got together again. And then they got together again. And every time, you know, he's praying for the food. He's a pastor. You know, he can't hide the fact that, like, that's what he does for a living. And over time, she starts to warm up to it. And she starts asking them questions about the Bible. And so he gets a chance to now answer the questions or say to her, well, let me get back to you. I'll look into it and, you know, give you a better answer than I can just come up with off the top of my head. Then she decided she would visit the church, not go in, just park across the street in a parking lot and spy on the people that go there. Everything's just little stages, right? I could totally relate to her. I'd be so nervous too. You're coming from a totally different worldview, totally different friends and everything, and and you're you're nervous. So she just checks it out, and she's just like, I can't believe there's all these people that go to this church. This is weird. And then eventually she decided to come, and over the course of that relationship, she became a Christian. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of ins and outs to her story. Read her book if you want to know all the details about it. But here's my point, not the whole thing. Here's my point. It started by inviting her into the home. It started by vulnerability on our part to welcome in somebody that said we are stupid. Somebody that honestly believed that Christians are intellectually impaired. She said we're intellectually, we, we, we just, we, we, we don't know what's going on. That's what she was. That's offensive. So what are, what are we going to do? We're just going to be offensive back? Is that, is that, gonna, is that what Jesus did? Jesus found like somebody that, that was rude or, or weird or different. And he just made fun of them? No, that's not. Welcome the people in. I know some of you have objections. Let's, let's talk about the objections. But my home isn't nice. I hear what you're saying, Pastor Sean, but my home isn't nice. I can't invite people into my home. It's a mess. Let me tell you a little secret. Let me tell you a little secret. If somebody comes into your home and it's perfectly clean, totally immaculate, they feel intimidated. It's true, right? You go into somebody's house and it's perfectly immaculate. Everything's, I don't even know where to sit. I don't know to take the shoes off. I don't know. I, I feel so uncomfortable. I need a little chaos, right? I have four kids. There's chaos all over our house. You know, a lot of people would be more comfortable seeing a laundry basket in the corner of the room than seeing everything artificially polished off like it's a museum, like that's realistic for your life anyhow. Come on. I'm, say, I'm not saying don't clean your house, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying don't get hung up on having everything be just so before you ever invite anybody over. All right, objection number two. But my apartment is too small. What, do you live in a hobbit dwelling where the ceilings are this? Come on, you can fit one person in your apartment. I'm not talking about inviting over everybody at work all at the same time. Just invite over one person, right? How much, how much space extra did Hector take up here, right? <laughs> it's not that small. Uh, what about your kitchen is a mess? Well, then clean your kitchen. 
but Sean, I can't cook. Well, neither can I. So order food in or learn how to use a grill or make them hot pockets. I don't care. How hysterical would it be to invite somebody over and just use the microwave for all the food? <laughs> These days, just Grubhub it, DoorDash it, you know, just get the food there. It's not about being some culinary expert. It's about having someone in your home so that you can listen and so you can build credibility so that you can have the important conversations. But, but Sean, strangers are dangerous. Everybody knows that, right? Don't talk to strangers. Isn't that how many of us were raised? Strangers are stranger danger. Whoa. Look, that was for you when you were about four, six years old. I think you're okay now. I think you're okay now. You, we need to get over that one, right? Strangers are not all dangerous, right? Surely there are some dangerous people out there. But there, are they going to, even, even if you had somebody that was an actual murderer, worst case scenario, right? You show that person love by inviting them into your home, they're not going to kill you. <laughs> You're feeding them dinner. They might have killed somebody on the way there. They might kill somebody after the meal. But they're not going to kill you. They've got to eat the food. They don't want to have to put everything out. But, you know, I don't know what the stats are, but, you know, 99.99999% of the people aren't dangerous. They're just different. And that's okay. But I can't afford it. So fast for two days, and then save all that money that you would have spent on, on food for that two days, and use it to pay for somebody else and yourself. But I'm too busy. Oh, I think that one, that one hits home. So, so many of us are so busy, right? Uh, so that's the question of priority. You got to put this, you got to put this at a higher priority than going to the gym, or than getting that you know, whatever it is, working those millions of extra hours to get, to get noticed at work or something. You know, whatever your busyness is driving your busyness, uh, I understand we're busy people, but we can prioritize hospitality above that. I'd like to close by just reading a little bit from the introduction to Rosaria Butterfield's book that she wrote after she became a Christian, after she became married to a man, totally weird, right? And uh, after she started getting really involved in fostering and homeschooling, she moved down to one of the Carolinas, I think, and whew, just totally changed her whole life. And she wrote this book. This is what she says. Radically ordinary hospitality. So, you know, that's, that's the key idea here. It is radical. I'm calling you to be weird and radical and gutsy and courageous and vulnerable. And you are going to get hurt at times and people are going to tell you no. And sometimes people are going to come over and, and they're going to be rude. They're not going to offer to wash the dishes after the meal. They're not going to offer to invite you back over to their house. You know what? Jesus got crucified. That's worse. Okay. All right. So <laughs> it's radical. It's radical, but it's ordinary. It's radical, but it's ordinary. This is this just be part of your life, right? This is what she says. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family. Somebody's only strange if you don't know them. But if you get to know them, they're not as strange. Now they're a neighbor. And now what's the next thing you want to do with a neighbor is welcome them into the family of God. Make them uh, into family. If they're willing, you know, you don't, you don't coerce people. She goes on, those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, 
but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know the gospel comes with a house key. A truly hospitable heart anticipates everyday Christ-centered table fellowship and guests who are genuinely in need. Such a heart seeks opportunities to serve. Radically ordinary hospitality is reflected in Christian homes that resemble those of the first century. As Christians, we are a set-apart people, and we do things differently. We don't worry about what the unbelieving neighbors think because the unbelieving neighbors are right here sharing our table, and they are more than happy to tell us what they think. Practicing radically ordinary hospitality necessitates building margin into the day, time where regular routines can be disrupted but not destroyed. This margin stays open for the Lord to fill, to take an older neighbor to the doctor, to babysit on the fly, to make room for a family displaced by a flood or a worldwide refugee crisis. Living out radically ordinary hospitality leaves us with plenty to share because we intentionally live below our means. Radically ordinary hospitality characterizes those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table. That was the one about politics. Did you catch that? For the record, we don't hate Democrats or Republicans. Just want to clear that up. You know, my wife, you know, she, she can be a little... <laughs> the truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friends with people who are different. They don't buy the world's bunk about this. They know that there is a difference between acceptance and approval, and they courageously accept and respect people who think differently from them. They don't worry that others will misinterpret their friendship. Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. This is the Jesus paradox. Engaging in radically ordinary hospitality means we provide the time necessary to build strong relationships with people who think differently than we do, as well as build strong relationships from within the family of God. It means we know that only hypocrites and cowards, let this sink in, only hypocrites and cowards let their words be stronger than their relationships. That's profound. We're all quick to use our words, to state our position, but... If the relationship can't handle that opinion, you're just tearing things apart. You're not edifying, you're tearing things apart. This is what she says. It means that those that only hypocrites and cowards let their words be stronger than their relationships, making sneaky raids into culture on social media, or behaving like moralizing social prigs in the neighborhood. Radically ordinary hospitality shows this skeptical post-Christian world what authentic Christianity looks like. Let them see you in your home. Radically ordinary hospitality gives evidence of faith in Jesus' power to save. It doesn't get dug in over politics or culture or someone stands on current events. It knows that what conversion means. Look, if somebody's an unbeliever, if somebody's a non-Christian, if somebody doesn't like Jesus, would we expect them to agree with us on, on other issues? That would be weird. I mean, it does happen from time to time, but it's just like, wow, you have all different presuppositions to start with, and you happen to agree with my conclusions about this over here. No. But conversion, when God really regenerates the heart and changes us from the inside out, if once you have that, then it's real easy to talk about these other things because we all have the same Bible as our, as our basis for thinking things through. 
It knows that sin is deceptive. This is another really important point. Sin is deceptive. To be deceived means to be taken captive by an evil force to do its bidding. It knows that people need to be rescued from their sin, not to be given pep talks about good choice making. It remembers that Jesus rescues people from their sin. Jesus rescued us. Jesus lives and reigns. My prayer is that this book will help you let God use your home, apartment, dorm room, front yard, community, gymnasium, or garden for the purpose of making strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. My prayer is that you will stop being afraid of strangers. We need to stop being afraid of people that are different than us, even when some strangers are dangerous. My prayer is that you will grow to be more like Christ in practicing daily, ordinary, radical hospitality and that the Lord would bless you richly for it, adding to his kingdom, creating a new culture and a new reputation for what it means to be a Christian to the watching world. I love that introduction to her book because it really sets the bar up there for what it means to welcome people into our homes. And if, if you don't have the ability to do that because you live with somebody else who owns the home, and, and you, you, then find other ways to do it. Invite them out to coffee. Invite them out some other place where you can get together and you can have that relationship. And then just be normal. Just be normal and your faith's important to you, so it'll come up. You know, somebody says to you, oh, let's do this the, uh, this Sunday morning or this Wednesday night or this other time when you've got a Bible study happening. You say, oh, I can't. I've, I've got this Bible study. Just be normal. Just be authentic. Just be who you are and see what happens. So I want to ask you the question, who can you invite into your home? Who can you invite for dinner? Who can you invite over to play cards? Who can you invite to sit in the backyard and eat some barbecue before the winter comes? Who can you invite over to play board games? Who can you invite over to play FIFA, video games? And don't pick a video game where it's like full of blood and gore. <laughs> That's like the part with the, uh, the sinning at the dinner table and then telling them about church. It just doesn't work. Who can you invite over for Thanksgiving? Or for Christmas party a week before Christmas? Or a New Year's party? Or whatever. We just had a change of seasons. Whenever that happens again. You could just make up something. Lord knows my calendar is full of all these weirdo holidays I never heard of, and I can't even delete them. Other people are making them up. Why don't you make one up? <laughs> make one up. Say, this is, uh, this is Neighborhood Day. October 3rd, Neighborhood Day. Are you coming over for Neighborhood Day? You make a Facebook event, boom, it's real. <laughs> nobody, can, nobody can turn you down. You know, you're creating your own reality. It's, it's fine. Can you invite somebody to go skiing or snowboarding? Can you invite somebody to a Bible study or a home fellowship or to come to church? Who can you invite? That's the question I want you to answer for yourself. Who, can you, who could you realistically invite? And please, please, please don't hear me as saying, what Christian can I invite? That's not what I'm saying. I think you should invite Christians too. I'm a Christian. I like to be invited, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so invite Christians too, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is who is somebody that you know is not a Christian that you could invite? That's the question I have for you. I want to leave you with that. Well, that's going to bring this week's episode to an end. What would you think? If you'd like to leave any 
questions or feedback, come on over to episode 510, Hospitality Evangelism, on restitutio.org. It's like the word restitution with no N, restitutio.org, and leave your thoughts there. Definitely a change of pace from last week. We went from aliens to evangelism. My goodness, uh, what an interesting change of pace. But you know what? Look, this subject, I believe in it. It's so important. And whether uh, it turns out non-human intelligence exists or not, we still have a responsibility to our fellow human beings, don't we? To share our faith and to be faithful to the Great Commission that Jesus gave us and to find ways that are natural and non-offensive, ideally, in our culture today, which is increasingly difficult So I do commend to you Rosario Butterfield's excellent book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's on Audible. You can get the print version. You can get the e-book, whatever. Look, I've read it. I've recommended it, and I can't speak highly enough about it. I really think it is uh, sort of like the master key to unlock the most likely to succeed method. And I've done other methods of evangelism. I've done Ray Comfort, Way of the Master. Uh, I went with a team of five people all across the Northeast into the Midwest, uh, stopping at a different location every day for two weeks, sleeping in a different bed every night, evangelizing to strangers all day. And you know what? It didn't really work. You know, we had some engaging conversation, sure. But then the person is gone and they, they leave saying, well, thank you for telling me about this important information. Or they, they get angry and they leave. Either way, I've done other methods for spiritual laws. What if you died today? All this kind of approach. And it just, it just doesn't work in the 21st century. Maybe in the 20th century, these methods were just dominant and, and people were converting in their droves. But I think having someone over to dinner is the way forward. Uh, having somebody over for a barbecue in your backyard, or as Josh Anderson put it in our evangelism seminar, which we, we had on this podcast uh, a couple years ago, but it's in the feed, just be really great at throwing parties and inviting your neighbors to your parties. Celebrate stuff. Celebrate annual holidays that don't even really get celebrated much in the culture, but you know, you could celebrate them anyhow, because why not? It's another excuse to have a barbecue, have people over, or to have a pizza night, or whatever it is you do in your particular context. So some interesting thoughts there. I hope you are able to put some of them into application, and I hope you take the warnings not to be weird or abrasive or so secretive that nobody ever notices that you're a Christian in your efforts to be faithful to the great commission Jesus has given us. Well, that's it for me for today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you'd like to support us, you can do that at restitutio.org. I'll catch you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.